Hi, Pastor Anthony here. At Vintage Faith Church, we stand behind the Bible's claim to be the Word of God, and we believe that the Scriptures contain everything needed for life and godliness. The Scriptures testify to the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. We pray that this recording stirs your faith towards that end. This is in no way meant to be a substitute for the local church gathering, which we believe is critical to your growth as a Christian and your walk with Christ. We pray that you will find the sermon edifying and challenging. Thank you for listening. So I would ask you this morning uh, to, if you had to make a top 10 list, top 10 list, everyone likes a good top 10 list, but if you were to look at your prayer life, and you were to make a top 10 list, and you were to go back maybe six months, maybe a year, maybe, maybe even a few months, what prayers would make your top 10? Give that some thought. I'm not asking for answers. I just want, it to, I want you to be thinking about it. Are those prayers, it, 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 if you have children, I am sure your children are making your top 10 list. Um, I know mine do, and, and for me as the pastor of this church, you all make my list. I pray for you by name, and I pray for this church and for the health of the church. But I, I ask the question because I think if we were to look at our prayer life, it's going to tell us something about what we think about God. Here's another question. Are your Prayers mainly for material blessings and material circumstantial change? Or are they like Paul for spiritual things and spiritual change? Richard Koken, who I've quoted a few times, says this. And by the way, I'm not going to have um, any slides today if you have a Bible or have your phone, we're going to be in Ephesians. So Ephesians 3, we're going to be camping out there. I will deviate a bit, but, but for the most part, we're in Ephesians. Um, but tell me if this feels like you and in, in, in anything you have experienced. He says, in our Bible studies, we can easily read magnificent passages like the one Kate just read. And then we close the Bible to pray about a weekend barbecue and the children's colds. If we could learn to pray, not only for our daily needs, but also for God's big spiritual plans, we would be more likely to witness God answering our prayers. The truth is God cares much more about my son becoming a fit dwelling place for the Holy Spirit than he does about what he gets on his science test. Now that might shake a little of you, and I do believe God cares about the details, but the point of what this guy was saying is we don't pray enough like Paul models for us to pray in the scriptures. We love give us our daily bread when Jesus models that for us, but, but sometimes we leave out your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We don't necessarily leave it out, but we leave it out practically and functionally when we pray to God. God certainly cares about you individually. 
Don't hear me wrong. He has plans to prosper you and not to harm you, Jeremiah. However, prosper you doesn't always look like prosper you to us. To God and to us, they look very different. What is God really after in you, in me, in this church? What is he really after? You see, if you miss this, you're going to live most of your Christian life confused. You're going to be like what Peter says in, in, in the book of 1 Peter. He said, don't be surprised by this fiery trial if it comes upon you. Don't be surprised by it. They're coming. They're coming. God cares about the details of our life, but what he is most after, the, he calls, the Bible calls our sanctification. That's our becoming more and more like Christ. And to be sanctified requires an understanding of who God is. So these are going to go hand in hand. That's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at Paul's prayer and kind of undergirding his prayer. I just want you to think that God cares more about you becoming like Christ than necessarily delivering you from the trial that you are in. And I know for some, that's not the news that you want to hear. But look at 1 Thessalonians 4, chapter 4, 3 to 6. Verses, uh, verse 3. Ready? We all want to know what's, what's the will of God for our life. I hear that from everyone. I ask that question myself all the time. God, what, what is your will for, for my life? Where do you want to take me? What job do you want me in? Where do you want me to go? Ready? For this is the will of God. Your sanctification. And then Paul goes on to say that you abstain from sexual immorality, and he, he's, this is in the context of sexual immorality. But you want to know what God's will for your life is? Your sanctification. That you become more and more like Christ. Many of you know this story, but in, in 2017, as the company that I was working for was, was coming to a close, they were moving to, to South Carolina, um, I had been there for 18 years. I, I was the primary only um, income in, in the home, and, and my company was moving, and, and I decided not to move with them. I felt called to, to stay here, stay in this church, stay in Syracuse. And Amy and I were praying, and we were praying, like, we need something. We got four kids, got to put food on the table. My, my joke was, you know, we're, we're going to end up somewhere just, you know, cooking fire under a bridge with, with no roof over our heads and not to make light of homelessness. I'm, I'm sorry to do that. I don't mean to offend anyone, but, but there's a real fear as a man who provides for his family when, when you no longer have that income. And we, we were praying and we were praying. And at that time, Amy was also thinking about, hey, maybe it's time for me to go back to work. My wife's a teacher. Uh, maybe it's time. She had been home with the kids for, for many years. And after much prayer, an opportunity opened up that we didn't even really have to chase. And it opened up, and we continued to pray. And we said, okay, this is it. And she went back to work. 
This is from God. Praise God. He, he, we're thinking he delivered us out of, a, out of a trial. But as many of you know, my wife went right into a trial. A hard one. Amy was five months in this job. And it was real. And it, we can't even explain it. It was dark. Anxiety. Depression. Beyond reason. We couldn't even put, even now when we talk about it, we're like, it wasn't, you know, why didn't, we could have just left. But there, you know, sometimes God leads us into those places. Now, I'm not thinking after all her trial and all the family went through, I'm not thinking, well, that wasn't from God. No, it was from God. He wanted that for us because he's after our sanctification. If you were to ask my wife and say, would you? If you could do it all over again, not go through that trial, and I think um, she would say, no, I would. I became more like Christ in that trial. He was my foundation in that trial. I was refined in that trial. I tasted the Lord in a unique way in that trial. And that story is not unique to Amy and I. That's if you know Christ, that's all of your story. And I know so many of what so many of you are going through right now. And you, you're in it. You're in the trial. What if this verse was true? And I say this, I say, what if? That's tongue in cheek. It's the Bible. It's all true. Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. What if we actually believe that functionally? That for God, for those who love God, all things work together for good. What if God, most of all, wants to see, wants us to see how glorious he is? What if God, more than delivering you from your circumstances, just wants you to see how amazing and beautiful he is so you could have true joy. That's where we're going today with Paul's prayer. All right, let's get into to his prayer. Ephesians 3, 14 and, and 15, if you're in Ephesians and following along. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. So we have to ask, for what reason? Anytime you read the Bible and you see a therefore or for, for this reason, for what reason? Well, God, or Paul, in Ephesians 3, 1, began to say for this reason, and then he kind of went a bit on a detour about the Jews and the Gentiles. But, but just to, to sum it up, for what reason? that God has chosen you. He's adopted you into his family. He's redeemed you. You were dead and he made you alive. You, all of us Gentiles who are outside of the covenants of promise are now brought in. The church, this one new man, for this reason, he bows his knees before the Father in gratitude. And we have to, to, to take note here. Paul says, I bow my knees I don't know if you know this, but first century Jews did not bow when they prayed. They prayed standing up. 
And the Greeks of that time did the same. They would pray standing up. So Paul is breaking with what these people would know about praying. And he is saying, I bow my knees before the Father. So he's combining two ideas here about God. And this is crucial when we think about prayer, because if we get who God is wrong, we won't want to pray. If we have a vision of God as harsh, cold, and distant, who wants to talk to that God? But Paul here is setting up his prayer, and he's just saying, I bow my knees. This is reverence, reverence. So we'll start right there, authority. This is what people did before kings. They would bow before a king. And Paul is bowing before God. He's not coming to God flippantly. I think the American church needs a little dose of this. To come before God the Father in reverence and awe. And not glibly and apathetically and everything being a joke. Nothing wrong with humor. But when we approach God, we are approaching a king. Hebrews 12, 28 to 29, the writer says this. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. So this is one aspect of God. It's not the only. We don't just leave it there. If we leave it there, we're going to approach God in fear, only fear, but we can approach him confidently. But our God is a consuming fire, and we should worship what we're doing today with reverence and awe. Reverence and awe. But our God is also Father. This again, this is breaking from any religion of the day. He's he's a father. This invokes and makes us think of intimacy and love and care. And many of you I know haven't had good fathers and and you've got to kind of work through God as father. But God, God as father, he is the perfect father. Galatians 4, 6 says, And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Jesus calls the Father, Abba. He cries, Abba. This is a a term of endearment. Dad. Dad. And we have to remember that, that God is Father. He's always been Father. He didn't become a father. Jesus is eternal. So from eternity past, God's very identity is father. It's intimate. Did you know that this is the God that you worship, that he is father, but he also has authority. There's real power behind him. He is strong, not like human strength. This is real strength, real power, yet he has the heart of a father. He wants to hear from you. And he can act on what you ask him to do. I can remember these days weren't too far, aren't too far in my past, but when my kids were young and I I worked out of the house, 
and I would come home from a long day, and many of you know this feeling, and you open the door, and the kids rush to you. They just come to you. Daddy. If you have young kids, soak that in. Because I don't get that anymore. I love my kids, but <laughs> I do not get that anymore. Um, Daddy. I mean, run to you, every one of them. That's how we should approach the Father. Knowing that, that he does have authority, and we shouldn't do it flippantly, flippantly, but we can approach him like a child, and he wants us to approach him like a child. This is the confidence that we should have about God, and this should drive us to our knees in prayer. Because he hears us, he delights in us, and he wants to hear from us. I think a lot of us can understand that God forgives sin, but if I was to confess for me a part of God that I struggle with, and, and I would assume that, that more than one person in here struggles with it, it is the fact that the Bible says that God the Father actually delights in his children, delights in you. If you have kids and you know, I, I'm looking at Myra right now, your young kids walk in a room, what does a parent do when they see a young kid? You, you light up. You light up. That's God the Father. When you approach him in prayer, he is lighting up, wanting to hear from you. And I would just commend everyone here, Vintage Faith Church, this is the engine behind your prayer life. Theology promotes prayer. And in one way, the, 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 the theological, technical way, doxology, which is praise. Theology informs doxology. Always. You got the wrong idea about God, you're going to speak to him wrongly. You're going to ask him for wrong things, or you're not going to approach him. Theology is so very important in your formation as a disciple of Christ. It's not just for pastors. It's not. And a lot of times, we're very works-based creatures, and what we want, practical. Tell me, what I, tell me, pastor, what I should do here. And the reality is, the most practical thing that I can give you, and you've heard this from me many times, is a right understanding of God. Because if you understand God rightly, it's not going to be, go do this. You're going to go do it out of love and joy and worship. To know God rightly is to love God rightly. It's to love others rightly. You will be filled with joy rightly, and you will worship rightly. So you've probably heard the term head. It starts in the head, heart, hands. That's, that's the Christian walk. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, then your heart, then your hands. Head, heart, hands. So here we see Paul just, it, it, it's not the point of this passage, but he's starting bowing authority, but calling God Father. By the way, my, one of my heroes, Martin Lloyd-Jones, he's, he's a, a preacher long dead from England, um, I was working through this passage this week, and I'm like, man, I can't really give this passage its, its due. 
unless I preach for three hours, and, and I can't do that. Um, and then I just looked, and I'm like, what did, what did Lloyd-Jones do? He preached 17 sermons on this prayer. 17. Now, that, that, I would never do that, but that's how rich this text is. There's so much here. There's so many ways I could have went with it. And, and so you, you might see something in here and like, hey, Anthony, why did you not talk about that? It's just there, there's too much. And we don't want to be here um, all day. All right. Let's keep moving. Ephesians 3.16. So Paul is praying. He's bowing. And then he says, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So let's just for a minute look at power. Paul is actually praying that you and I have power. But it's not power like the world sees it. It's not power how our minds immediately go to. It's an inner being power in our inner man or woman. It's a quiet inner peace and strength. I think often as Christians, we can get fooled by human bravado in the Christian circles where um, maybe sometimes emotionalism and excitement gets mistaken for power and they're not the same thing. Um, I, you know, it's, it's definitely something I've seen um, amongst youth at times, but I, I think the whole Christian church, it can kind of seep in to, to the church. But this is not what Paul is talking about. He's not talking about you rolling around, casting out demons and, and making a, you know, a big splash here. He's talking about a strength in your inner being. And then he says, well, he begins with, according to the riches of his glory. So how are we strengthened with power in our inner be being? According to the riches of God's glory. There is a connection here that I want to show you. Again, um, when I say the most practical thing we can do as Christians is learn about God, I, I, I mean it. Like this is, if Paul is saying, hey, you're going to get this power, it through his spirit, God's spirit in your inner being. And how's it going to come? By getting excited and really getting worked up the music? No, no. It's going to come from seeing the riches of God's glory. How do we see the riches of God's glory? There's only one way to see the riches of God's glory. Well, there are multiple, but the main way, his word. That's it. That's how you're going to see the, the riches of God's glory. And in case you're maybe like, hey, I'm not really tracking with you, Pastor. What, what are you saying? What, what I'm saying is, as Christians, and what Paul is saying here is, we actually are changed not by white-knuckling doing um, something, not by a one, two, three, four-step practical process. We're changed by fixing our eyes on the glory of God through his word in church, through the ordinary means of grace, which I'll, I'll get to in a minute. That's how we are changed. That's what Paul's saying in Ephesians 3.16. He says the same thing in 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we all, 
with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, beholding, looking at the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Again, you and I, we will be strengthened with this power that Paul's talking about by beholding the riches of God's glory. Again, how, how does that happen? Of course, there was word, but it's also happening when you're in a trial and you're praying and you're seeing him walk with you in the trial and you're in the word and it's talking about trials and the words and maybe you're reading James 1 and you're in the trial and God is speaking to you through his word and then he delivers you and you read in Psalm 34 that he always delivers his people and you praise him and you get to know him a little more and then when you're hurting, you're in Corinthians and he's talking about he's the God of all comfort. And when you fall and you sin and you go to 1 John and you read, he cleanses those who confess their sin. And you're starting to learn, okay, I, I'm walking with this God. I know this God. He's with me. I see his glory in the scriptures. John Piper talks a bit about seeing this divine glory in the scriptures. And he says this, the same divine glory that convinced his first disciples that he was the truth will shine through the scriptures and convince the church that these are the very words of God. So think about this, Christian. If you can see God's glory in the scriptures, it's similar to those who could see God's glory in Jesus. How many people saw Jesus when he walked the earth and said, this is just a man. He's nothing. But some people fell at his feet and worshiped. And so it is today. Some people read God's word and by God's grace through the Holy Spirit, they can see this is, these are the very words of God. And some people can read God's word and it is like nothing, like a veil over their head. You will be strengthened as you behold the riches of God's glory. And that has to be done by reading his word. You are not going to see his glory by not reading his word. That's how God reveals himself, through his word. And I would say that, that seeing his glory is of the utmost importance for you as a Christian. It is the fuel that drives everything that you do. Again, John Piper goes on to say, our final inheritance is this, that we will see the glory of God and praise him for it. We will see his glory, savor his glory, and show his glory. This is why we were created. This goes to the heart of what it means for us to be fully human and for God to be fully honored. If you remember our, our series in Genesis, we talked about in the fall, one of the things that was lost with Adam and Eve in this broken world that we live in is right worship, right praise to God, right seeing his glory. He goes on to say, God exists to be glorious, and we exist to see glory. 
and savor that glory and to give expression to that glory in praise. If praising God's glory is our final destiny, then seeing and savoring and praising God's glory must be at the heart of what it means to be fully human. Seeing and savoring God is therefore the heart of mental health. And, and that might be a new concept to, to some of you, but um, I, I believe that with all my heart, that, that again, we, we see God for who he is and, and, and everything rightly comes into to focus. Everything rightly comes into focus. To see God, to see his glory, and to see um, him as he is. And how often, and I would ask, this is a question you should ask yourself, how often do you and do I settle for a cheap substitute of God's glory? What is that in your life? Is it porn, alcohol, somebody else, maybe like a spouse or someone that you're putting up on a, on a pedestal? Is it control? Is it power? How often do we settle for substitutes of God's glory? So one of the, one of the ways that, that, other than the Bible, that is a very practical way to drink in the glory of God, and you hear me say this quite often, it's the ordinary means of grace. It's what Christians have said for the last 2,000 years is ordinary means of grace. That's the gathering of God's people on the Lord's day, on Sunday. It's the singing of his word. It's the preaching of his word. These are things that God has ordained. This is not just made up by, by modern man. The preaching of his word, the singing of his word, the Lord's supper, baptism, the fellowship of the believers, the prayers of confession and pardon and blessing, all of this is reflecting God's glory. And I'm not saying that like, hey, you need to listen to me as a pastor. It doesn't matter who's up here. If God's word is being preached and sang, his glory is in this place amongst his people in a way that it is not in the rest of the world. He's revealing himself in this way. So I would just ask you here, Again, a question to, to kind of search your own heart. Are you feeling strengthened by God in your inner being? You know, don't answer that out loud, but answer that to yourself. Like, really, do you feel God's power in you? Are you walking in his power because it is available to us? It is. And if you're not, if you answer no to that, are you beholding his glory? What aren't you doing? Are, are you not in some way beholding his glory? And obedience comes into that, and I just don't have an, enough time to, to, to go there. But we need to behold the glory of God to feel that power, to experience that power. All right, let's keep going. <clears throat> he go, Paul goes on. Ephesians 3, 17 and following. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Stop there for a moment. He is not talking about initial salvation. He is talking now to Christians. And he's saying that 
Christ may dwell in your hearts. And we're going to get to this word, but this word dwell is, is like take residence, spread out, get comfortable, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So again, see what, what is Paul praying for? Do you pray like this? He's praying that we can comprehend God and see his love and be filled with the fullness of God. But back to that word dwell. Um, in my previous job, I traveled a decent amount. And I, I had a reputation, and I still do because we're going camping today, and, and I'm still finding myself for some reason. I, I do this. I don't know why I do it, but I do. I like to pack light. I love packing light. If I'm going for a trip, anything less than a week, I've got one backpack and everything I own in that backpack. And you, you might be thinking, how in the world do you do that? But um, I do. I, I remember going on trips. We'd be going out to the West Coast for work, and everyone would have things, and, and I would have one backpack on and, and no bags checked, and, and I, that, I mean, it was stuffed. It was stuffed. But when we'd get to the hotel, I didn't take my stuff out. I kept it in the backpack. And, and I would often room with people, and they would open their suitcases, they would put their stuff, and you, probably most people do this. You put your clothes in the drawer in the hotel, and, you know, they set up like they're home. Like they're home. And... My thinking was, I'm only here for a few days. I can't wait to go home. I'm here, I'm living out of this backpack, and then we're going to go home. That was always my, my thinking. The word dwell here is actually the exact opposite of that. The word dwell here is the idea of, I'm unpacking everything. I'm staying here, and I'm never leaving. I'm going to put my clothes here, maybe candle there some furniture here, I'm, I'm moving in. And Paul is praying here that that idea of Christ coming into our hearts through faith, that, that we let him spread out and dwell. He's not coming for a few days and leaving. He wants all of you. He wants all of us, and I don't know what sin you guys are playing with at this moment, but there's probably something that you're feeling convicted about, and he is saying, I want you to put that away. I want to dwell here with you, fully dwell here with you. When you come to faith in Christ, he does not intend to come into your life in a controlled and manageable way. That is not the God we serve. If you are trying to control Jesus, you've got it backwards. He comes into your life and you can do nothing but just let go and follow or you're going to be fighting against the grain. C.S. Lewis has a great quote regarding this idea and I just want you to think about your own heart, your own life, your own walk as I read this quote. Imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. 
At first, you can understand what he is doing. He's getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew that those jobs needed doing, and so you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one that you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards, you thought you were being made into a decent little cottage. But he is building a palace. He intends to come and live in it himself. This is what's going on. If you know Christ, if you can say he's dwelling in your heart, he is building a palace, he is spreading out, he wants to dwell in it, he wants every part of you. And I know we all resist. We, we've like, hey, you can have this room, Jesus, but not this room. I know your word clearly says this, but you can't have it. In vintage faith, I would just say when you can stop fighting and just listen and obey the blessing that comes with that is amazing. The blessing that comes with obedience is amazing. And Paul's saying here, I, I'm praying that you have the strength to see this. I want God to dwell in you, the, that you're filled with the fullness of God, the fullness, like all in you. I would say the more that we come to a biblical understanding of what God is like, the more we want to pray. And the more we, we pray, we come to understand what God is like. It's a, it's a cycle. The more you do this and live and walk like this, you're going to worship rightly. You're going to have joy rightly. And this is what it means to live by the Spirit. Getting all excited for a moment is not what Paul means. This is day in, day out, walking with God, hearing him in his word. Again, I, I fear that, that we have Christ, as Christians, we've been sold a false idea of what it means to walk and live by the Spirit. Emotion is good, but emotion with proper truth Guiding that emotion is what God does. Listen, I, this is going to be lost on probably a lot of people other than my kids, but you can get excited going to a Taylor Swift concert and be worked up in the same way that, that some of the stuff that passes as living by the Spirit in Christianity is. We can you know, name your concert. You can go to a concert and get worked up. Living by the Spirit is something different. Do you want to be filled with the fullness of God? And brothers and sisters, I would say, does this sound like your experience? Are you walking in the fullness of God? Are you feeling God's power? John Stott says, Bible reading and prayer should always go together. For it is the scripture that God has dis disclosed his will. In the scripture that God has disclosed his will, and it is in prayer that we ask him to do it. So again, back to Paul's prayer. What are your top 10 prayers? 
do they look anything like this prayer? In fact, we can go back to Ephesians 1. He has another prayer in Ephesians, and it's very similar. I pray that the hearts, your hearts are enlightened, the eyes of your hearts are enlightened, that you can see God. So that's what Paul prays for, for the church. That's what I, as your pastor, pray for, for you and the elders. We pray that you can see God and, and walk with God. Will you commit with me to praying this prayer for Vintage Faith Church? That's what, that would be my ask today, is would everyone in this church pray that prayer? Ephesians 3, 14 to 19, pray this prayer. Pray it as you think about people that you know in this church. Pray it for your kids. Pray it for the church as a whole. Over the last four years, I, I know that many of you have prayed prayers like this. And I know that they've been answered beyond what we even prayed for. Like when we pray in line with God's will, these prayers are answered. I can think of more than three stories of individuals in here that were praying for something very much like what Paul is praying for. And all of a sudden, things started moving in this church and, and health came in a certain area. These are the prayers we should be thinking about and praying. And God always answers in a, in a, in a bigger way. Dave and I, um, years ago, Dave and I began praying for certain things. Um, uh, and the elders, and it, it, we prayed for maturity. But every time we do it, God, he moves. He starts working things up. And, and sometimes it's not a good feeling because we all have our idols. And we all have our, our ways in which we maybe don't want to hear the truth. But it's always for our good. And God always answers far more abundantly. And that leads us to the next verse. Ephesians 3, 20 to 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Church, God's desire for us and for you is that you be sanctified and that you come to maturity. And that's a mature understanding of who he is. Thanks for tuning in with us. We hope that you found this sermon edifying, encouraging, and challenging. To learn more about Vintage Faith Church, visit vintagefaithcicero.com. And of course, if you live in the area, we invite you to worship the Lord with us on Sunday mornings.